Lord, I ask that the words that are spoken right now would come, come from you and from your word, that they would be empowered by your spirit uh, to speak truth and life to your people. We pray for each of us that our ears would be open to hear what we need to hear about you and about ourselves and about this world that you've called us to live in. Lord, I pray that this, that this word would make us more faithful to Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. So this morning, we are going to be talking about, about baptism. Um, last month, uh, our brother Shane Heidegger was, was baptized, and he, part of his story is that um, he's been following Jesus for, for most of his life. Um, but over time, uh, he knew that he was supposed to get baptized, but over time he, he put that off for one reason or another, and then eventually felt like this is something that he, he needed to do. And after his testimony, I had a couple people come to me and say, my story is Shane's story. And I've been following Jesus for a long time, but I've never taken that step of obedience. And uh, I have a feeling that those couple folks aren't alone, that there may be some of you here this morning, or some of you who are, who are listening in, uh, who, have, who have accepted Christ, have received the forgiveness that he has to offer, but for whatever reason, uh, you have not yet uh, taken that step of obedience to baptism. And so what I want to do to, to say first is that if that's you today, I want to say that I'm sorry. I've been your pastor for almost seven years. And... That that hasn't been clear, that that needs to be made right. I want to make sure that that's made right in some way today. That there's some clear teaching on what baptism is and, um, and, and what we believe and what we practice here at Broadway. And to encourage you, if you're in that, uh, if that's your story, uh, to respond in, in obedience at this time to Christ. And of course, also, if you um, are curious about Jesus, if, if you've never taken any steps to actually follow him, that this message today um, would be an opportunity for you to say yes to him in, in your life. I also know that there's a lot of other questions about baptism. You know, I, I decided maybe three or four weeks ago that I was going to preach on baptism, and I thought oh, that would be kind of an easier sermon to put together. I kind of know this thing, and I, I know what it's about, and um, it's not been easy. Uh, there, there's a lot in Scripture. There's a lot to, to deal with. And, um, and I know there's a lot of questions and, and differences of thought about what this is all about. And so I hope today um, to talk about some of the basics about what the Bible talks about, about baptism, uh, to clarify some questions that some of you may have, and then uh, to talk about specifically what, what Broadway practices about baptism. So there are two practices in the church that we call ordinances, or in some traditions, sacraments, two practices that Jesus gave to us as his believers to follow. Uh, the first is baptism, and that practice is a practice that was to be once for all. It was a, the first step of faith that a believer does, and that would be, for, for, that would be the only time that they do it, is that first moment where they, where they have um, received the good news of the gospel. And then the second is communion, or the Lord's Supper. And that is a practice that is regular and ongoing, something that the church is called to do on a regular basis to remember the work of God in our life. And so baptism is, is meant to be the first act of faith 
It's the marker in your life that you look back and say, this is where my life with Jesus began. It's where it started. And baptism is a, is a symbolic act where we do something with our bodies that makes a connection with our hearts and with our minds. Baptism is where our whole self comes together, body, mind, and soul, and we say to Jesus, I want all of me to belong to you. And so I've been thinking a, a lot about this week, about how we've, we've come to the place, and, and Broadway isn't the only church that has this problem, but this place in the American Evangelical Church where there are men and women who have been followers of Jesus for a long time, years, and haven't been baptized. And, and I've even heard people say that baptism isn't even necessary. And the idea goes something like this. We are saved by grace through faith and not by works. And so I don't need to be baptized to be saved, and so I don't need to do it. Have you heard that before, kind of out there? It's a really common line of thinking in our evangelical tradition, but you don't, you don't really find that in any other Christian traditions. And so I've been thinking a lot this week, how did we get to, to this place? It's even more important because the Bible doesn't know about this problem. Um, in the Bible, it's very clear that baptism always accompanies salvation, always. Peter preached a sermon on the day of Pentecost, and the people said, how can we be saved? And his response was, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and receive the Holy Spirit. All of the biblical writers assume that followers of Jesus have been baptized. It's a part of the deal. So how do we get to this point where baptism has become, in some ways, optional for followers of Jesus? I... I I'm going to do my best to try to explain how this has happened. I, I, I'm going to do my best. During the Reformation, one of the most important teachings uh, that the Reformation recovered was salvation by faith alone. The Roman Catholic Church at that time was teaching a salvation by works, and one of those works was baptism, and that baptism was what saved you. And the Reformers came along and recovered this biblical conviction that we are saved by faith alone. And one of the, the ways then that the Reformers articulated what baptism was all about, and this is kind of really stuck, is that baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. Or a, a visible sign of an invisible reality. Have any of you heard that? Okay. Now, rightly understood, I think that's right. And I don't think that believing that is enough to actually cause the problem that we face in the evangelical church, where we have people who come to believe that baptism is optional. I think there's that statement that we believe that baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. And I think there's also another factor at play as well. The other factor is that the evangelical church created other symbolic actions that have become a substitute for baptism. All of us inherently know that it's important for us to embody our beliefs, to do something with our bodies, to live out our beliefs. Following Jesus is not only about a change of the mind, it's about a change of life. As James says, faith without works is dead. Following Jesus is not simply about agreeing about particular doctrines. It's about being faithful to him with our whole lives, with our hearts, and with our minds, and with our bodies. And God knows 
knows this, and he knows that, that, that symbolic actions are important to us, to connect our bodies with our, our minds and with our hearts. And so he gave us baptism to be the symbolic act that we do with our bodies to tangibly reenact and to tangibly live out this reality that we've come to life through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And in the Bible, baptism is that symbolic act that we can do to always look back to, to recall as our marker, as the moment where we put our flag in the ground and said, this is when I became a follower of Jesus. This is when I made the transition from death to life in Christ. But somewhere along the way, it seems to me, baptism got substituted for a couple other symbolic actions. And I think it were these. Walking down the aisle and praying the Lord's or praying the, the sinner's prayer. That the conversion moment symbolized by those things has become for a lot of people what baptism was meant to be. As this symbolic act where we are making this decision to follow Jesus. And listen, both of those things, walking down the aisle and praying the sinner's prayer, are, are wonderful symbolic acts that are part of my life. They are gifts to us, but they are not a substitute for this biblical symbolic action of baptism, which marks us, which marks our life. And from here, at this point, I am now a follower of Jesus. Baptism is meant to be the first act of faith in a person's life. When someone asks you about how you know you are saved, for sure, tell them about that sermon that you heard. Or for me, that moment at church camp when I was 12 years old and had this experience with the Lord. Or that moment when you walked down the aisle at a Billy Graham crusade or in a church service. Tell them about that, but also tell them about your baptism and what happened on that day when you publicly declared that I am following Jesus. That he is where my identity is going to be found. Jesus, I want all of me to belong to you. And I'm doing this through baptism. So baptism is this symbolic act that we do that joins together our bodies and our minds and our hearts to say, Jesus, all of me belongs to you. So if you are a follower of Jesus here at Broadway and you haven't been baptized, I want to say again, I'm sorry for not teaching you better over the last seven years. And I want to encourage you to consider to make that right. There's one other uh, point of clarification that I think is important for us to make. And that is the question about God's presence in baptism and also in communion. Whether God is present and at work in the person during baptism and communion, or whether they are just symbols. And uh, if, you would, if I had my slides today, what we'd see is three words that said, just a symbol, and then the word just crossed out. Baptism and communion are symbols. But they are not just symbols. They are also more than symbols. I had a pastor in college who had an incredible impact on my life. Uh, but as I think back on his teachings about communion in particular, he would often, we, we'd only take it maybe quarterly at that church. And I just remember him going out of his way, it seemed, every time we talked about it, to say, you know, God is not present here. You know, this is only an action. It's just a symbol. It's only an act of obedience that we take. And it was like he was going out of his way to correct superstitious belief about what was happening. But at the same time, I think he was ripping away something else that 
important. In reaction to superstitious beliefs about communion and baptisms, I think we've made a mistake in throwing out the baby with the bathwater. We believe that God is present and active in all of our life. He's active right now as I'm preaching. He's active when two or three are gathered together in his name. We believe that he's active when we're serving the poor, that he's present in that moment. But then all of a sudden we say, baptism and communion, he is not here. <laughs> he is not doing anything right now. And I, I think that's a mistake. I think that's a mistake. Um, my brother Wayne today just came forward. Where are you, Wayne? There you are. Came forward to, um, to, to thank God today for the life of J.I. Packer. I don't know if you heard, but J.I. Packer passed away this past week. And uh, I've got a quote from J.I. Packer today from my sermon. He says this, he says, as the preaching of the word makes the gospel audible, so the sacraments make it visible. And God stirs up faith by both means. Let me say that again. As the preaching of the word makes the gospel audible, so the sacraments make it visible. And God stirs up faith by both means. God is present when we practice them. It's not, this isn't a superstition, it's not magic, but he's present there and he makes good use of them in our lives to stir up faith in us, to strengthen us, to remind us of what's true. As the preaching of the word makes the gospel audible to our ears, the sacraments make it visible to our, our eyes and God stirs up faith by both means. So then I would add that in baptism and communion, there's this connecting point that we then have that what we have come to believe in our hearts and in our minds about the gospel is then connected through this embodied action. Baptism, we are immersed into water. That's a dramatic thing to go underneath the water. And sometimes it's really cold and it's like, you know, there's this like life that happens in this tangible feeling of the water. It's not just a symbol. It's been given to us as a gift to stir up faith. When we gather together and when we share communion, we, we taste the symbols of the body and blood of Christ. We smell the symbols of the body and blood of Christ. We look around and we see our brothers and sisters in Christ all gathered around one meal together, sharing in this meal that brings us and draws us all together. It is a symbol, but it's not just a symbol. It is stirring up faith in us. God is making good use of these things. So let's talk a little bit about what the Bible means, what baptism means for us. I want to say the main thing that baptism means for us is that we have received from God a new identity. We are no longer our own. We are marked and sealed by Jesus. We belong to him. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Paul writes this. Don't you know that all of us, who were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. What a beautiful and remarkable thing to tell us. In baptism, we die to ourselves, to our sin. 
my present life, my eternal destiny is no longer determined by my own works or merit, but by the works and merit of Jesus. On the cross, Jesus took on all of my sin and yours and the sin of the whole world, and he took it and he absorbed it into himself. And he took that sin into the ground, into the tomb with him. And when he rose on Easter, all of the sin and the death that results from it stayed in the tomb when he was resurrected. And in baptism, we are reenacting that story for our own selves, in our own life, in identifying ourselves with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The sinful things that I have done have been plunged into the water. And when I come up out of the water, I am sharing in the power and the results of that resurrection. Sin and the death that results from it stay buried in the water, and I come up a new person. Baptism is also identity into a new family. In baptism, you take on the identity as a child of God. At Jesus' baptism, a voice from heaven declared, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then Paul Refer, uh, alludes to this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 27. He says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Baptism is the confirmation of your sonship, that you've been made a child of God. It is the marker of your identity as part of God's family. A part you then are made a part of of the people, all the people who call God Father. It connects you with all of your brothers and sisters who have also been baptized and identified with Christ. And so when we choose to be baptized, we are declaring that our primary, primary identity is in Christ. And the Bible tells us that all other allegiances, all other relationships, all other alignments come underneath and in service to our identity to Jesus. In baptism, we are saying that our significance, our purpose, our identity is defined by our relationship to Him, in His death and in His resurrection. So we have a new identity in Christ. We have a new identity as a part of His family. And baptism also is connected to receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 13. The body is a unit. This is First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 13. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we are all given the one spirit to drink. In baptism, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit invited into the family of God. And what that means for us is that the personal presence of God is now available to us at any time. Let me say that again. In baptism, we are united, baptized with the Holy Spirit, which means that the personal presence of God is now available to us at any time. We don't have to go to a temple to experience the presence of God. God has chosen to make your body a temple. You don't need to come to this sanctuary. This building is not God's house. You are God's house. We, together as a church, are being joined together as God's people and are being built together as a temple where God dwells by His Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2 says, 
Now, there's also references in the Bible, especially in the book of, of Acts, being baptized with the Holy Spirit, or to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I definitely don't have time this morning to get into all of what that means, except to say this. Our baptism is the beginning of our relationship with Jesus, not the end. It's the first step in growing in our awareness of, our, of His presence in our life. And the reality of that baptism, the power and authority of that baptism should always be growing in our lives. And there are times in people's lives when God baptizes. The word baptize means to immerse. He immerses them even more deeply into his life so that they can walk more intimately with him and so that they can be more empowered for some work that he has called for them to do. I want to suggest to us that all of us should be daily seeking this kind of immersion into the life of the Holy Spirit. A deeper understanding of his presence, a deeper understanding of his empowering of us for us, a deeper intimacy with him and knowledge of his presence in our life. And so baptism and the Holy Spirit are connected together in these different ways throughout Scripture. And, and the details are often different between different people and different experiences, especially in the book of Acts. But what all of those experiences are pointing to is that God wants us to have an ongoing immersion into his life. To always have a deepening of intimacy with him and an understanding of his presence. I think that's the main thing about what being baptized in the Holy Spirit is about. is about having this, this deepened intimacy, this, this deeper and greater empowering of His Spirit that God will continue to do in our lives as we grow with Him. Because our baptism is the first step of our intimacy with God, and it's something that we are growing in as we continue along. So in baptism, we are identified in Christ, we are identified with His family, and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to move on to talking about specifically what Broadway practices, um, how we practice baptism here at, here at Broadway. As you know, there are different Christian traditions about baptism, different modes of, of sprinkling or pouring or, or baptizing once under the water, and some do it three times under the water. And uh, there are some who, who, who baptize infants and others who believe that it's only um, uh, baptism of believers, those who have committed to following Christ. And I definitely am not going into all of that this week. Instead, I want to tell you what we believe and practice here at Broadway. At Broadway, we practice believers' baptism. And that means that we believe that baptism is best expressed as a response of belief and faith by the individual. And that we see in Scripture that that is, most often, that that is the biblical pattern, that someone has received the gospel, has believed the good news, they've repented, they walk in baptism, and then they walk in newness of life after that. But that is, that is the pattern. And so at, at Broadway, uh, we don't practice infant baptism here. We believe that baptism is best expressed as a, in, a person's individual response of faith. Second, we practice baptism by immersion in water. We believe that baptism by immersion is, again, the best expression. The best symbol of this union of our, of our death and our resurrection in Christ. And so I emphasize that we practice these things because we acknowledge that there are other modes and beliefs of baptism within the, the true, wider Christian church throughout the world. And if you were baptized in one of those traditions, I don't want you to be thinking, ah, do I have to do it all over again? Maybe is the answer to that question. Maybe you do, and we need to talk about that. 
But that's what we practice here at Broadway. We practice believers' baptism, and we practice baptism by immersion in water. So I just want to finish by addressing uh, a few questions that I that I often get um, at Broadway or just as a pastor for the last 15 years now. Um, the most common question that I get um, is, should I get rebaptized? Um, this question comes from all different kinds of questions that people are wrestling with. Um, I didn't really understand what I was doing back then. There were other people doing it, and I just went along with them. The pastor that did my baptism, he was kind of a fraud, and I'm just not sure if that was legitimate for me. Or I've wandered away from the faith for years and years and years and years and years. Do I need to get rebaptized because of that? The short answer to that question is no. You don't need to get rebaptized. You and I are always growing in the knowledge of what our baptism means. Always growing. No one, no one fully understands what their baptism means on the day that they're baptized. <laughs> That's the whole point, is it's the beginning, the first step into this deeper relationship and deeper intimacy with Christ. And throughout your life, you're going to have seasons of intimacy with God and times when you feel distant from God or even when you're in rebellion from God. You don't need to get rebaptized after that. Baptism was the first step, and it's the step that you can continue to look back to and to remember and to hold on to. Second question is, is should my child be baptized, or how old should children be when they are baptized? Here at Broadway, we don't have any sort of age limit or requirement at all. If your child is able to articulate what they believe about Jesus, what Jesus has done for him or for her, and they are willing to share that, we believe and think that they should be baptized. And so um, there's a, no, nothing in Scripture that talks about the age of 12 or 13 as some sort of age of accountability, and we've got to wait to that point. There's just nothing there. And so we believe that if, if a child is able to articulate who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for them, that they, that they can be baptized. And then just the last, you know, what, what is the process at Broadway? How, how, if I wanted to be baptized, what would that look like? And, and what happens is somebody will come to me and they, they will say that they want to be baptized or that their child will want to be baptized. And there is usually then a meeting with myself or with Pastor Simps or with another staff member uh, to talk about what baptism is. And just to, to make sure that that person knows and understands um, the very basics of what baptism is. And then we ask them to write out their testimony. And that gives us an opportunity to then do some continuing teaching about, about life and following Christ. And so they write out their baptism, and we, we talk about that together, and we, we ask some questions, and maybe they change some things, or maybe they, some, they add some things. And then once that's done, then we, we baptize them. And sometimes that process can take a week, and sometimes it can take a month or two as they continue to work that out. Um, but that's typically the process of Broadway. That's not like written in stone somewhere. If another pastor comes along, they may do it differently. I may do it differently sometimes. But that's typically what we've been doing over the last few years. And then we have cake. <laughs> I just want to finish today by, um, by giving a challenge to those of you who, who have been baptized. For those of you who have been baptized, the challenge for you today in each day, and especially on days when a baptism happens. It's to remember and to recall 
and to give thanks for your baptism. To remember that in your baptism you are sealed with Christ. And to examine today and every day whether your life is reflecting the reality of what happened that day. Paul says that in our baptism we are dead to sin. Well, am I today living in such a way that is dead to sin? In what ways am I living that's not reflecting that, but it's still allowing sin to be alive in my life? What in my life needs to be buried today in the name of Jesus? In your baptism, you're given a new identity as a child of God. Do you know that? And do you believe that today, that you are a son or a daughter of the Father? Or are you today allowing other identities, other names, other allegiances to be the center of your life? So today I'm asking you, if you've been baptized, to remember your baptism and what that means for you. Those who have never been baptized first, as I've already mentioned, if you're a follower of Jesus and haven't been baptized yet, Let's talk and make that right. You don't need to be ashamed. You don't need to be embarrassed. It's going to be a great and celebratory day. But if you haven't yet today received the good news and never never even thought about this thing called baptism, I want to remind you today that the gospel is for you. That Jesus died for you. That he rose from the dead for you. That he has conquered sin and death for you. And then if you repent... That if you believe, that if you place your trust and your faith completely in Him, today can be the first day of your eternal salvation. It can happen today. So the invitation today is to come. To come and to receive this good news for each one of us in our life. Whether this is old news to us that needs to be made new and fresh again. Or whether it's brand new today. That we would live and respond to it. It's good news that Christ died and rose for us. Lord, I pray that your your good news would be very real to each one of us today. Lord, I pray that whatever the next step is for each one of us, that you would help us to take that and to, to be honest with ourselves and with you about that and that we would be willing to take whatever next step you have for us. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.